Hey guys, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I promised you an emotional break from last week's episode, so today we go over the timeline, discrepancies, and just overall weirdness of Chris and Kessinger's affair. Some of this is going to be anecdotal and just overall weird, and some is going to make you go, <gasps> Small talk is a waste of our time, so here we go. So, remember how I said Kessinger had been Googling Shanann for way longer than her and Chris had been dating? Her first Google search for Shanann Watts was almost a year before the murders in September of 2017. This coming from the woman who told police she didn't even learn Shanann's name for quite some time. Co-workers say they'd seen Chris and Kessinger eyeballing one another in the halls and smirking at the mention of one another's names for about four or five months prior to the murders, timelining that to around March or April of 2018. Remember, Chris and Kessinger want everyone to believe that they started dating a mere two-ish months before Chris killed his entire family, lest we forget. A male co-worker tells police, that it's unusual for Chris to go to the oil fields before checking in at the office in the mornings. You'll remember that his boss even thought it was weird to get a text about it that Sunday before. Mind you, he had volunteered to do it all alone that Friday before, making sure no one else would be there to help him. However, when talking to the police, Kessinger told them that it was not unusual for him to go to the fields before showing up at the office. The people who work directly with him say it's unusual, but his mistress describes his behavior as essentially normal. I know you're shocked. Emails between Kessinger and Chris via work start to leak, and they make about as much sense as anything else that the pair says and does, and the emails are short-lived and seemingly serve no purpose outside of existing. On June 12, 2018, Kessinger sends Chris a random email thanking him for his honesty and that truthfulness is so underrated in our culture. There wasn't anything before this email, it wasn't a reply to anything, so what discussion had they had where Chris was honest? And what was he honest about? His wife? His kids? His wife's pregnancy? Because I doubt this was about how he's the one who ate her lunch out of the company fridge. Either way, it's out of place and doesn't make any sense, especially if we're supposed to be under the impression that this is work-related. We can all agree that it wasn't work-related because Chris's reply was that he's a straightforward guy and lying just complicates things. Sure, maybe it's still about work. Wrong! Chris concludes his email by telling her she's stunning and an amazing person. There it is! The emails continue that day and that day only, Kessinger telling Chris that she enjoys talking to him because he makes her feel understood. She continues in what now seems so eerie, telling Chris that she's looking for someone to build a life with, similar to what he has with Shanann and his girls, but says that she believes in karma, so out of respect for herself, Chris, and his family, she thinks they should keep their friendship at work, and what I think she's trying to say is that she wants things to stay platonic, but that's not what she said. 
So she's telling him that she wants a family just like his to the guy who just told her she's stunning and amazing and then tells him they should just be friends. Right. Anyone else feel like these emails are staged? Let's take a minute to go over one of Kessinger's statements to the Denver Post after the murders took place. She tells them that Chris lied about everything and that she was under the impression that him and Shanann were separated and close to finalizing his divorce when they met, adding that he didn't even wear a wedding ring to work. Chris said on the day that they met that she's right, he wasn't wearing a wedding band, but they talked about his daughters and Kessinger saw Shanann on his phone's lock screen. But when Kessinger talked to police, she told them that he never mentioned his marriage and didn't initially mention he had children either. So, what was she talking about in that email about truthfulness? She told him that she wanted to build a family just like his with his wife and daughters, but then tells Denver 7 that she thought he was about to finalize his divorce. So, which is it? Did they have a marriage and family worthy of jealousy, or was he separated and almost divorced? Because I'm fairly certain it can't be both. She tells police that she didn't learn Shanann's name for a while, but Google determined that was a lie. Unless the ghost of Christmas past has been using her computer to Google Shanann Watts for almost a year now. Let's refresh your memory. The two claim to have started dating around June 8th, which math is hard, so that's four days before these emails took place. So they started dating, then four days later, email about not dating, but continue dating and never email each other again. Gotcha. Were these legitimate communications of no substance that served no purpose, or was this an attempt to set up some sort of timeline if it ever came up in the future? Had they planned these emails ahead of time to use as a reference for something in the future? June 22nd of 2018 is when Chris finally adds Kessinger as a contact in his phone, under an alias, of course, as cheating men do. This is also the same day that him and Shanann jet off to San Diego together for a Thrive convention. And again, those photos and videos from that trip were uploaded as fast as Shanann could take them. So there's 10 days in between their emails and when she became an official contact in Chris's phone. I think we can rest assured that they weren't using their work emails to communicate regularly because that was a random one-day thing. So I'm guessing they had continued communicating, it was just without an assigned contact in each other's phones, or through some kind of third-party app like his calculator. On June 27th, Shanann and the girls fly to North Carolina to spend the summer with family for six weeks, and Chris stays back in Colorado, and him and Kessinger start living the free life together. It doesn't take but a few hours from Shanann heading out for Chris to show up on Kessinger's doorstep with two boxes of condoms. Someone's a little ambitious. But Kessinger says that they had sex three to four times a day. Seriously, what is this guy doing? Sleeping three hours a night and banging four times a day. Anyways, so one of the boxes of condoms is full and the other is opened. So Kessinger asks him why one of them had been used. Chris reportedly tells her it's from when him and Shanann were still having sex, saying they were just sitting in the closet collecting dust, and that Shanann probably didn't even know they were there. Pause. Who keeps condoms in a closet? 
Hold on, honey. Let me go to the closet real quick. No, no one keeps condoms in a closet. Continuing. Kessinger asked why a married couple would use condoms, and Chris said it was because Shanann didn't like to get messy. And then this girl looks at the expiration date and by memory remembers that the opened box's expiration date was early in 2023 and that the unopened box's expiration date was late 2022. She literally researched the lifespan of condoms and established it's about five years. So she says that due to her research, she believed the condoms were manufactured in late 2017 or early 2018. I never want to hear this woman say she doesn't remember something or that she was encouraging Chris to save his marriage because she was so concerned with whether or not he was cheating on her with his wife, that she researched the manufacturing process and lifespan of a freaking condom. On June 29th, 2018, Chris and Kessinger are talking about how they're completely addicted to one another in text messages. On the 30th, she tells Chris she's got a free stay at the Holiday Inn. I've never heard anything more cliche for an affair than a free stay at the Holiday Inn. She asks him if he wants to go, if he can swing it this month. Now, she's not asking if he can swing it financially because it's free, and she reiterated that it won't cost him a dime. She's acknowledging the fact here that it's hard to spend the night somewhere else when you're married with two kids. Something that would be much easier if, say, he was separated, as she claims she thought he was. Later that same day, there's a random and out-of-place text from Kessinger that reads, she supports me, but her parents were in a situation like that when she was a kid, and it came up. It won't bother me. I'm not going to stop seeing you. From what I can put together, it sounds like she told her mom or someone else that she cares about the opinion of about Chris, and Chris wanted to know how that had gone, which also alludes to the fact that this relationship between him and Kessinger was pretty serious if she's telling her family about him. She's clearly under the impression that there's a long-term plan here. It sounds to me like when she told her mom or whoever it was that she was seeking the approval of about Chris and the fact that he was married with kids, that her mom or whoever mentioned how her parents were in a similar situation when she was younger, but Kessinger assured Chris that none of that is going to stop her from seeing him. This isn't a conversation about a guy who's going through an almost completed divorce. This was a conversation about being in a relationship with a married man who has children. She tells Chris that she's made up her mind, that no one and nothing can keep her from seeing him, and then asks him if they're bad people. Yes, you are. In Kessinger's interview with police, she told them that her father and Chris were the only people who knew about their relationship. So I guess we're pretending that this text never happened. Or the text where she complains to her friend about always falling for guys who have kids and feeling like she's always going to be second to Shanann. Oh, and we'll pretend that Chris didn't delete his Facebook on August 8th because she told her friends about him and he says he didn't want them searching and finding out about his wife or the fact that she's pregnant. On July 4th, while Shanann was still in North Carolina, Kessinger was spending time at Chris's house. Three days later, on July 7th, Chris texts Kessinger all the way to her house through traffic until he's parked out front where he picks her up and takes her to see Jurassic Park around 7. But the movie was ultimately sold out, so the two literally sat on a bench outside of Victoria's Secret and chatted for two freaking hours before seeing the 9 o'clock show. 
Sounds like they're really trying hard not to get caught. There were days of texts missing before this, but random mentions from Chris wanting to see her wet and service being too bad for him to download her photos. So it's not like the two had stopped talking. Kessinger just made sure to delete anything of substance in between before handing over her phone to police. This would explain her frantic Google searches about whether or not police can trace text messages because she certainly had a lot of deleted ones. On July 14th, Kessinger goes over to Chris's house yet again. She picks him up and they head to that Mustang museum, which sounds so boring my eyes want to bleed. When Kessinger dropped him back off at his house, she came in and at one point asked him when he had last had sex with Shanann, a question she asked frequently. Chris told her it was sometime in May, but Kessinger remembered him telling her on a previous date that the last time he had had sex with Shanann was in March or early April. She asked him if they had used condoms, testing him again, because she had already asked him this before. He said they had not, but Kessinger says that the last time she asked him this, Chris told her that they had used condoms. She went as far as to ask him if he was actively trying to have a child with Shanann, all because he had said they didn't use protection. This makes no sense. It's mid-July, and you found out he had sex in either March, April, or May, and you're asking if he's trying to conceive a child because he didn't use condoms with his wife three to six months ago? This sounds to me like she's trying to make her claim of not knowing Shanann was pregnant seem more believable. So let's not get this twisted. Kessinger was obsessed with Chris and extremely protective of him and their relationship. Chris even mentioned himself that he had to talk Kessinger off the ledge on more than one occasion when she felt like he was putting Shanann before her. The next day, July 15th, Kessinger teases Chris in what seems to be a manipulative effort to try and emotionally or sexually control him and says that she'd been asked out on two dates since they started dating, but she didn't go on either one and that she was stood up. Which makes absolutely no sense. Either you didn't go or you went and the person didn't show up. Kessinger had actively been on eHarmony this entire time and admittedly talking to other men. But in another statement she told police, she said she never went on any dates. On July 20th, Chris and Kessinger try to have sex four different times, but Chris can't get it up. That's embarrassing. He tells her it's because she told him that she had been asked out on dates and the fact that she kept telling him to fix things with Shanann. He said he would try to fix the marriage when he went to North Carolina, but that he didn't want to talk about it anymore. But just 24 hours later, on July 21st, they go to lunch at a nice romantic rooftop bar and go watch some local drag races. Shortly thereafter, Kessinger Googles, Man I'm having an affair with says he will leave his wife. So we're supposed to believe that you are pressuring him to go save his marriage to the point where he tells you he will if you stop bringing it up, while simultaneously Googling about how the man you're having an affair with says he's going to leave his wife and live happily ever after with you? So many poorly planned lies. So many. Chris and Kessinger go on their vacation to the sand dunes from July 28th through the 29th. That's two days, but I made it sound cooler. Chris left for North Carolina to join his actual family on July 31st, and you can only imagine the complete mindset and personality change necessary to go from dating a 20-something-year-old behind everyone's back to being a married family man with almost three children in front of your parents and in-laws for an entire week. We already know it did not go well. To add a cherry on top of this Sunday of lies, Kessinger claims that Shanann was the one who, when Chris got down there, didn't want to work on their marriage and wanted the separation. 
On August 1st, Chris told Kessinger that he loved her, but according to Kessinger, she told police she wanted to wait until Chris's divorce was final before they took things further. What are you talking about, woman? You just tried to tell police that Chris went to North Carolina to try and save his marriage. Did you not think they would fact-check this garbage? Spoiler alert, Kessinger said it back. On August 8th, Shanann and Chris find out that their upcoming baby is a boy, the entire reason he had wanted to try for a third child in the first place. But Chris had just told Shanann that he didn't want the baby, so shitty timing is an understatement. But in more disturbing news, Chris and Kessinger's relationship was freaking blooming as she sat there googling, marrying your mistress. Kessinger is googling this while Chris is in North Carolina and trying to convince everyone that she sent him up there to work on his marriage. I still cannot with her and her crap lies. On August 10th, 2018, Chris texted Kessinger that the Rockies game didn't end until 10.20, that she's lucky she left earlier, she would have been there a while. I have to wonder if this is where the August 11th lie came from, where Chris tells Shanann and the babysitter that he's going to a Rockies game that he won tickets for at work, because the Rockies did have a game on both the 10th and the 11th, both playing against the Dodgers. This is allegedly the last time that Chris and Kessinger physically saw one another aside from FaceTime. Chris and Kessinger met at her place, had sex, ate at the Lazy Dog restaurant, then had sex again when he dropped her back off at her place. Now, this is also the day where Kessinger googled how to prepare for anal sex at 9.30 in the morning, so I have some educated guesses on how that pre- and post-dinner sex went. But let's not forget that this is also the day where Chris stopped using his gift cards and prepaid visas to pay for their dates, and callously pulled out his baby blue debit card knowing his wife, who already suspected there was someone else, would get a notification about the $68 purchase, and he gave no fucks. Kessinger herself said that she thought he paid with the debit card because Chris had nothing to hide anymore. But you know if that was the case just because he was leaving Shanann, she would be jumping for joy and sending out save the dates. But I think she knew exactly what was going to happen and why he'd no longer have anything to hide. Remember that text from Kessinger to her friend about how every guy she meets either has kids or commitment issues? That text was sent the day before the murders. They've been dating this long, and the day before Chris kills his wife and daughters, Kessinger is texting a friend about how it's an essential bummer that he's got kids. When this friend was contacted by police, she let them know that a lot of hers and Kessinger's messages had been deleted because Kessinger had asked her to. On this very same day, Kessinger and Chris had a conversation about when he did leave Shanann when it came to child support, he'd still have to show all of his banking and income statements regardless of how many accounts his paychecks went into. It's now August 13th, 2018. At this point, Chris is home and police are combing through it for any signs of his missing family. But the first text we see that day between Chris and Kessinger is at 2.44 p.m. and not 3.45 like she claimed. And it says, and I quote, Oh my gosh, that's absolutely ridiculous. They would freak out. This is more emotion than anyone saw from him that day at all. Kessinger was still at work at this point. She got off at 3 p.m. that day, and clearly this was an emotional response to something she had sent. But to what? Because Kessinger made sure to delete all of their texts before that one, and frankly, I'm guessing it was a total oh shit moment when she realized she had forgotten that one. Remember, Kessinger had told police that Chris texted her around 3.45 p.m., telling her to call him, and that's when she knew something was wrong. 
but there's no record of that text at all, or any other text from him that day for that matter. Kessinger deleted the ones she did mention to police, and forgot to delete one that she didn't tell them about. She certainly shit the bed on that one. Now let's get into the evening of the 13th. It's late and dark outside, and Chris's wife and children are still supposedly missing without a trace. Is he out searching? Is he calling police until they finally find some kind of update to give him? No. He's talking to his mistress. Cassinger not only spoke to Chris on the phone that night, they FaceTimed for over an hour. She says he sounded scared and concerned about his kids, but in another account about that night, she seems more focused on the fact that the bed he was on had no sheets on it, saying Chris told her he was washing them. She said he was quiet and fixated on her during the entire call. Scared and concerned versus quiet and fixated. All in the same long-ass FaceTime conversation. Sounds like a blast. On August 14th, Kessinger continued to text with Chris, even though she had deleted all traces of his existence from her phone. They specifically talk about how Chris said he opened up a new bank account so he could start saving for that apartment he'd been planning on getting. Kessinger claims that she didn't know Shanann was pregnant until she went missing, saying Chris told her that he had only found out the morning of the 13th when Shanann told him to wake her up, saying Shanann told Chris that she was pregnant and that the baby wasn't his, but the due date just so happened to coincide with when they had been trying to conceive. Okay. But I've said this before and I'll say it again, we know this is bullshit on so many levels because Kessinger was the Facebook creeping queen and checked up on both of them on multiple occasions and Shanann's pregnancy littered her timeline. Kessinger also said when talking to police that she only learned Shanann was 15 weeks along when she googled her on August 14th and said she knew that Chris had to have known because anyone who's 15 weeks along would be showing. One, no. Plenty of women do not show at 15 weeks, especially if it's their first pregnancy. But, two, she knew Shanine was pregnant all along because she'd seen her bump pictures online every time she so much as glanced at Shanann's Facebook. So yeah, Shanann was showing, and she'd seen it herself. Kessinger claims that on the 14th is when she started getting suspicious, saying he didn't seem to be as concerned with finding his family as he was with her in their relationship. This is coming from the woman who told him to pawn Shanann's wedding rings the day before, and also the person he told he planned to go to work the next day. There wasn't any change of tone or concern for his missing family between the 13th and the 14th. He gave no fucks from the get-go. They'd been texting the entire day before about crap completely unrelated to the fact that his entire family was missing and police were combing through his neighborhood like ants. Want to know what I think happened here? I think everyone saw Chris's infamous porch interview with Denver 7 and started talking, and when Kessinger realized Chris was as terrible at being a murderer as he was at being a husband, she decided it was time to jump shit before she got taken down with him. Unfortunately for her, you can only hide so much by pressing the delete button. Now that we've covered the timeline of their relationship, let's go into some random details about Kessinger. Random tidbit number one. 
Kessinger claims to have no social media accounts, which seems weird for a young woman like her who took so many pictures of herself and who spent so much time searching the social media accounts of her married boyfriend and his pregnant wife. But she says she deleted them in the beginning of 2018. Huh. About four months after the first time she Googled Shanann. Interesting. But she knew all about the process of deleting a Facebook account. When Chris deactivated his on August 8th, she asked him if he had sent in the request to Facebook to have it completely shut down, and he didn't know what she was talking about. She knew Chris was deleting his Facebook, unlike everyone else whom it was a complete shock to, and she wanted to make sure that it was completely gone. This wasn't done on some whim like he claimed it was, to keep her friends from searching him and finding out about his pregnant wife and kids, because a simple deactivation would have solved that problem, but she wanted it gone gone. I also find it interesting that Kessinger thought Chris deleted it on the 11th, the same day he used his debit card on their date, but as we know, Chris actually did this on the 8th. That August 11th date certainly sticks with her though. It was a big transitional day in their relationship. It was the day Chris stopped caring about saving face for his family. And we know Kessinger has the memory of an eagle because she remembers the expiration dates on a box of condoms. So the fact that she forgot the day that he deleted his Facebook is a little interesting. Random tidbit number two. During one of her scheduled interviews with police, Kessinger brought a straight-up breakup box full of Chris's clothes and other items that belonged to him that he had left at her house, essentially asking police to be the middleman in their breakup. This is so weird to me. Throw it away? Nah, I'll bring it to the police station. I don't know what the purpose of this was. None of his dirty clothes and body wash bottles were going to be of any evidentiary value, and she was constantly texting with the detectives on the case, so she could have easily just been like, hey, what do I do with this shit? But no, in a box it went straight to the police station. Random tidbit number three. Regarding the crime, police ask her if Chris has any guns, and she knew Chris well enough to know that he had none in the house and that he was essentially anti-gun when it came to owning multiple firearms. She had only been in his house twice, but she knew he didn't have any guns in there. Knowing what he did, I can only imagine the conversation that led to that exchange of information. It's ironic that a man who becomes a family annihilator feels so strongly against guns. Random tidbit that just makes her look like a liar number four. In a document she typed up of everything she could remember... She said that Chris told her that Shanann hated that Chris liked to work out and eat healthy. I will never understand this girl. Chris was one of Shanann's best advertisements for her Thrive products because of the weight he had lost. She lived for his transformation. And I mean, who doesn't want their husband to go from dad bod to hot? Get out of here with that nonsense, Kessinger. You have lost your noodle. Last random tidbit, number doesn't matter. Kessinger interrupted one of her interviews with police to ask for assistance in dealing with the trauma this was causing her. In fact, she questioned whether or not she could change her identity. I am telling you, if the government gives this woman a new identity, my brain is going to explode. For so long, Kessinger has been portrayed as an Amber Fry, an innocent bystander who had no idea the truth behind the scenes, someone who didn't think he was still married, someone who didn't know his wife was pregnant, and someone who didn't know what was going to happen. But she knew he was married, she knew his wife was pregnant, and she's hidden about as many details as she can about her communications with Chris leading up to the day that he committed the murders of his entire family. And people with nothing to hide, hide nothing. 
sit on this for a week and tell me whether you still think she's an innocent bystander who just got in with a wrong man or if she had some part in this too, even if it was just conspiracy. Next week, I had an episode all lined up, but then this jailhouse male lady came out with Chris's third confession, which I believe, again, is closer to the truth, but still not there, and I'll tell you exactly why next week. If you enjoy listening to this podcast every week, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. We love reading them all, and we love you guys. Oh. If you get true crime fever between episodes, be sure to check out my Instagram at TheHeatherAshley, where I do mini cases every Thursday. Until then, we out. We out.